Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We made it to Friday. We're glad you're with us. We're brought to you today by the Headspace app. And uh, Jim, we have two good martinis today, both of which are related to uh, the coronavirus and a crazy, which tells you everything that's new is old again in Washington, D.C. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, But let's start with the good. And this is actually the convergence of a really bad martini and an increasingly frustrating martini that has somehow morphed into good. Uh, Fauci, I think, for both of us, his stock has dropped, uh, given some of the things that he's done over time. I think even post-Trump, his uh, chattering about his uh, disagreements with the former administration has not come off as particularly tasteful. And, of course, he's the guy who said 15 days to flatten the curve uh, over 10 months ago. So, uh, but even more venom is directed, of course, from our attitude towards teachers unions, uh, who insist that they absolutely can't go back, not only until every teacher is vaccinated, but in some cases, including where you live, Jim, until all the kids are vaccinated. So this convergence has actually led to a good martini because Fauci, when asked by Willie Geist on Morning Joe, hey, Parents are frustrated. When can their kids go back to school? Fauci actually agrees with the CDC and says, we got to get them back in. Here's what he said. I would back the CDC recommendations because that is really based on data. We didn't fully appreciate that early on. But the fact is that when you look at a community and look at the penetrance of the virus in the community and its spread at the community level, compared to the school in that community, it's less likely for a child to get infected in the school setting than if they were just in the community. So for that reason, understanding that this is not an easy issue, and you've got to understand the concerns of teachers, because they obviously have a concern, an understandable concern. Putting all that together, we need to try and get the children back to school. And that's the goal of President Biden, that in the next 100 days to get the K to 8s back in school. Now, Jim, there's a lot of political caveats in that answer. He knows he's going against at least the immediate wishes of the Biden administration, even though he says Biden wants to get K through 8 back uh, within the first 100 days. Biden just said we need to basically reconstruct the ventilation system in most schools. That's going to take more than 100 days. So uh, Fauci is sticking his neck out here a little bit against the new administration. But any momentum we can get for actually getting kids back in the classroom is good news. Yeah, I think by, you know, Anthony Fauci's standards, this is a knife fight. This is about as critical as he gets, you know, and it's, it's not, there's no venom there. There's no uh, animosity. He doesn't pound the table, but he simply goes out and gives an opinion that is not what Ron Klain and most of the people in the Biden administration want to hear. The risk of opening schools right now is pretty minimal and the risk of keeping them closed, both, you know, I assume most uh, listeners saw that God awful story in the New York times about the sudden spike in suicides amongst teenagers in, uh, in Nevada. Um, Look, the decision to keep a school closed looks different at the end of January and the beginning of February than it did in November or in September or in last spring. And it's one of those things where the costs of keeping the schools closed is increasing. The benefits is shrinking. Uh, or like I say, the offsetting benefit is shrinking. And, you know, in a whole bunch of places, teachers have been pushed to the front of the line. 
I, I, this, you can see the outlines of the first major fight and arguably the first major defeat of the Biden administration. Um, they've really wanted to finesse it. They've really wanted to um, appear like they're you know, looking for this sensible compromise, that they want the teachers to be safe. Now the argument has turned into funding. And it's worth noting that there was like, what, 13 billion or so in the first uh uh, CARES Act, or the first uh, major you know relief bill that was passed that was sent to schools, and I think the most recent one in December was like eighty five billion. So this really isn't a funding issue, right? This is you know, and the other thing which is worth noting is that you look at in both my neck of the woods and all across the country. First of all, some states have the schools reopened. Texas, Florida, generally Republican-run states, although not all of them. Connecticut has had its states open uh, schools open, uh, at least in some areas. Most private schools have had their schools open uh, for several months now. Now, some of them are doing two days a week. Some of them are alternating you know, days uh, for students and only having half the kids in. It's perfectly normal and sensible to say we can't reopen schools the way we did before the pandemic. We got to take certain steps. I think most parents would be perfectly happy with that. But what we've seen is this ludicrous obstinacy on the part of teachers unions, which, you know, at first it was we want to get vaccinated, which I, I guess is necessary. Look, you know, it's point, worth pointing out your chance. You get the virus. Your chances are nor, well north of 90 some percent. You're going to be fine. You might be sick for a while. It might stink. Could you have lingering issues? Sure. This is not necessarily something to be uh, hand waved away. And some people have had lingering issues. This is not something that you go. And particularly if you're immunocompromised, particularly if you have, uh, if you're an elderly teacher approaching retirement, you know, look, those are reasonable concerns. You'd like to think we'd be able to figure out a way to work uh, around those particular hard cases. But for teachers who are fine and in good health, you wear the mask, you social distance, you take all the proper precautions. Some classrooms, they're putting up big plastic dividers. You try to keep people to one side of the hall or the other so they're not bumping into each other. You can, you know, we could we could have worked this out. Other schools across the country that don't have powerful teachers unions are making this work uh, everywhere. Uh, earlier this week in the, in the corner, I made this point because the editors had a terrific editorial laying this out. I'll just make the observation. If you're listening to this, chances are your life is different now than it was before last March. You've had to make some sacrifices. You're not enjoying your life the way you used to. You're not going to parties the way you used to. You haven't been, you're avoiding crowds. You haven't been to big groups. Your business may have been closed or your business may be operating at 25% capacity, 50% capacity. They told us to not get together for Thanksgiving. You know, everybody's had to make some adjustment. And every time you go out to the grocery store, the pharmacy, or wherever you go, you wear your mask, you try to stay six feet away from people and you hope for the best. We've all had to live with a certain amount of risk. It's not good. We, we'd never choose this. This has been something that's been forced upon us by the Chinese government and their bad decision-making. And we're all muddling through the best we can, except for the teachers unions who are saying, no, they need, apparently here in Fairfax County, they want 14 days of zero transmission. We're not going to get to that for probably a decade, actually not a decade, <laughs> but like years and years, right? You know, I mean, they, they basically, they're, they're indicating no desire to reopen schools in person, even though we know this is having a really bad effect on our kids and a really, really bad effect on the kids who are most vulnerable. It is absolutely inexcusable, and I'm glad to see Fauci's taking this direction. I just wish Fauci can get, you know, you know Dr. Fauci, you, you can get angry about this. I wouldn't mind you pounding the table. You don't have to react the way I did, or the, that much calmer fellow, was, I believe it was Loud, Loudoun County Schools, who uh, got <laughs> screaming at the school board. I, I, I salute him for his composure and his calmness and his well-balanced, rational arguments to a school board that is absolutely pooping the bed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's been, as you said, a very difficult time. But one of the things we've seen from the left really throughout the past year, Jim, 
is the mask is coming off and they've told us exactly who they are. Somehow they still keep getting elected, but uh, which is very. <laughs> the very... mask coming off is a perfectly ironic uh, metaphor. <laughs> I guess so. Unintentional at that point. But I'm not sure anybody has uh, been more transparent about who they really are than the teachers unions and who they do and who they don't care about. I know when I've said that the teachers unions don't care about the students, I've gotten some blowback on Twitter. I'm only doubling down when I see this stuff where teachers unions, what you just said, 14 days of zero transmissions, uh, not even sure we want to come back in the fall until even kids are vaccinated. I mean, they are pushing the goalposts so far back. It's it's almost impossible not to see what their priority is and what it's not. Well, the other great irony, and I, I look, you know, I, I, I don't know how responsive teachers unions are to their members because the teachers in this particular neck of Fairfax County, Offensive City Woods, never had an issue with any of my kids' teachers. They've all been great. But, okay, correction. All of them except one or two have been great. <laughs> you know? um, and you know, some of them have come over by the house to drop off stuff. Like they, you know, No teacher went into the profession to teach to a screen. They right. really want to get in, back in front of kids, or at least they say they want to. So I don't know if the teachers' unions are actually representing the desires of the rank and file. I think when they, um, they did a survey here, 40-some percent of Fairfax County teachers wanted to go back in person. Obviously, I believe six, you know, close to 60% that were saying, no, let's continue online learning. But that was back last summer before there were vaccines and stuff. So I kind of wonder if the teachers unions are pushing, are, are going into places and making arguments that the rank and file don't actually support. But uh, that's another discussion for another day. Now, real quickly, though, I think that is a good point. Uh, my argument is not with uh, the rank and file teachers. I've heard stories about how the unions are kind of strong arming teachers who would rather be back in the classroom to either stay quiet or sign on. So it looks like they've got a unified front on some of these things. I mean, these unions with uh, the AFT and the NEA and their massive salaries here in Washington, uh, they've got a political agenda that goes far beyond even what the the local uh, unions might be doing. And I would say the individual teachers. When I blame the unions. I am not talking about teachers. And some will say, well, they're one and the same. Now, uh, the leaders of these unions uh, take marching orders from people with a very significant political agenda. And if you've never been for school choice before, Jim, I think this is one of the better arguments for it. Ha! As I say, people are already voting with their feet. <laughs> yes. I would just need to vote with their hands. Parents, you need a breather, you need a little calm. Headspace app might be able to help. It's the new year. Sometimes it's hard to start a new routine, but hey, we're almost a month in, so let's get on it. If you're one of the 34% of Americans who made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. In fact, it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're feeling overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And as I've said many times before, our chief of operations says that several of my Radio America colleagues have used Headspace. They find themselves more relaxed. They sleep better just more calm. And in a stressful time like we're in right now, that definitely helps. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. So feel happier. Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash martini. Headspace.com slash martini for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library 
of meditations for every situation. This is their best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash martini today. All right, Jim, one of the things you mentioned that has changed since the open or keep schools virtual debate from the summer is that we have vaccines now. Of course, we got the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, uh, necessary in two doses. We've got double vaccine news uh, today. One, Johnson & Johnson is out with their news, and it shows that uh, the vaccine is 72% effective against the virus, which is considerably lower than Pfizer or Moderna, or the next one we're going to talk about. And it's 57% effective against the South African variant. We can't call it the China virus, but we can call it the South African variant. So if you're keeping score at home, uh, Novavax uh, is also out with their vaccine. 89% effective, uh, but only 51% effective against the variant. So, Jim, these numbers aren't quite as good as the first couple of vaccines, but it looks like we're headed towards more vaccines coming on the market. Yeah, uh, this is, you know, good for increasing supply. Um, I think it does indicate that this South African variant really is something to worry about. And I'm not completely freaking out that the first two cases have been found in South Carolina and one of them is in the low country, but that did not escape my attention. Um, there is one good defense that I will make at uh, two points worth making about the, what we see from the Johnson and Johnson, uh, vaccine. The first is that, you know, it, it requires normal, uh, refrigeration. So it doesn't require special transports or special, you know, freezing devices and things like that. It's going to be a little bit easier. And, um, Howard Foreman over at, uh, uh you, you know, Yale university makes this kind of useful point, which is that, um, you know, the Moderna one, you get that second dose and it takes two weeks for it to really kick in to, you know, create that um, level of antibodies and defense in your system. Pfizer, it's a seven day thing. The nice thing about Johnson Johnson one is that once it's in you, it starts working and apparently it gets better and better over time. So when you're like, ah, oh, you know, Johnson and Johnson isn't quite as effective and all that stuff. No, but it goes to work almost immediately. And it sounds like based on the data they have, it's at least one, you know, they're saying 100%. Maybe, maybe very few things in this world are 100%, but it's close to 100% effective against preventing hospitalization and deaths. And that's what we really want to prevent. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to emphasize that Johnson & Johnson is a very big company. You know, they make the Band-Aids, they make all kinds of, all kinds of you know, baby powder and all kinds of other stuff. And the va- Johnson & Johnson vaccine production has nothing to do with Woody Johnson, our former ambassador to the UK, or uh, his brother, Chris Johnson, who are the owners of the New York Jets. That said, I fully expected this morning, Greg, a statement from them saying, look, a lot of people would say that a Johnson & Johnson vaccine that is 72% effective against COVID, the standard strains of COVID, and only 57% against the South African variant is a disappointment. But we don't believe this is a rebuilding year for our vaccine. We believe that this vaccine is built to win Now, also keeping in mind that because the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is so far the least effective against the the virus of all of them, uh, they will not be competing in the vaccine bowl next week. That one's between Pfizer and Moderna. But Johnson & Johnson does get the second overall pick in next year's uh, vaccine candidate draft. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, There are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. On to our crazy martini now, Jim. 
And it happens with almost every president. There's almost always one family member who's kind of an embarrassment. Billy Carter, Patty Davis Reagan, uh, Roger Clinton. Uh, For a while, it was the Bush twins, but I mean, they were basically drinking at the age of 20 instead of 21. So uh, not quite as embarrassing, but uh, still not great. Uh, Now it looks like Joe Biden's brother is going to be, in addition to Hunter, of course, uh, could be an embarrassment for the new administration. This guy, of course, came up on the radar. He's under investigation for dealings in Pennsylvania. Uh, Tony Bobulinski talked about how uh, Biden's brother, Frank, uh, was talking about plausible deniability with their business contracts. So, you know, this guy's totally on the up and up. Now we've got this CNBC. President Joe Biden's brother, Frank, promoted his relationship to the commander in chief in an inauguration day advertisement for the law firm he advises. Frank Biden is a non-attorney senior advisor for the Berman Law Group. The firm is based in Boca Raton, Florida. Its ad featuring Frank Biden was printed in the January 20th edition of the Daily Business Review, which is also based in Florida. The ad focuses on a lawsuit the firm is leading against a group of Florida sugarcane companies. It features a photo of Frank Biden along with quotes regarding his relationship with the incoming president and the family name. In an email to CNBC, Frank Biden said he has not used his brother's name to gain clients. So, Jim, given his track record and the timing of this particular move, we got to keep an eye on Frank Biden here. He might not be totally on the up and up. Greg, is the best bet for President Joe Biden to just say that he's adopted? <laughs> what, what I kind of marvel at is that, you know, so Hunter Biden turned into this, you know, significant liability to the Biden campaign. You know, look, it was not enough to overturn the the course of the election, but it was a major liability. Lo and behold, after the election, we find out that the FBI is investigating him for uh, tax. IRS is investigating him. FBI is investigating him. Tax fraud, potential money laundering, Chinese business partners. Like that's that's a big stinking pile of stuff. Um, His uh, brother has also had this periodically, you know, uh, this effort. Like you'd like to think there'd be a big old Biden family reunion in which Joe Biden could say, come on, man, to everyone in the family to say, stop getting your, like, like I, I'm only going to be in this job for maximum eight years. And let's face it, nobody thinks I got that. Okay. I just need you to keep your noses clean and not get involved in any glaring conflicts of interest or not try to cash in on me and my career and what I've done for just a few years. After I keel over, do whatever you want. I'm not going to be around to worry about it, right? You know, if you want to, you know, dine out on being a Biden, fine. But for the next few years, I need you guys to be on your, walk the straight and narrow, walk the line, you know, keep your noses clean, Hunter. And uh, apparently, no, apparently that's too much to ask. And apparently he couldn't resist. By the way, so what is Biden doing as a senior consultant to this law firm? We know what one thing he's doing. He's appearing in the ads and mentioning the Biden name. Out of all the people in the world, why were the, those big institutional Chinese investors wanting to chat with Hunter Biden, you know, the, these two other young kids and, you know, stepson of John Kerry and stuff like that? Look, we've all, you know, lawmakers have always had idiot sons and idiot relatives and all that kind of stuff. But it's generally seen as very bad form to try to cash in. And after this had turned into such a giant headache for Biden, the campaign, his family can't hold it together. Like they had to do this on inauguration day. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Now I understand why uh, why Biden keeps saying, come on, man. It's no malarkey. Yeah. Jim, the CNBC, they have a file photo of Frank Biden talking to the media. Here's literally what it says underneath. Frank Biden, the younger brother of Vice President Joe Biden, talks about a white powder scare that took place at his Ocean Ridge, Florida home. You know, 
I hope nothing nefarious happened, but I also just wonder if his family was visiting. I was going to say, you're, you know, insert Hunter Biden joke here. Now, it's not it's not funny to to mail white powder to people. Don't do it. People of us who have memories of the anthrax mailings back in 2001 and all that stuff. The other thing also is interesting is that I, I, I have not I, this morning when I saw that I tried looking for the ad and I do not see it online. I'm really surprised it hasn't popped up on YouTube yet. That probably, Greg, I got to figure it's the most embarrassing appearance of a potential political figure in a Florida law firm ad since Charlie Crisp was taping it. <laughs> Do you know me? I used to be governor of Florida and then I switched parties. And yeah. It's kind of funny that Charlie Crist is uh, pretty much an invisible member of Congress now. I mean, I wish he wasn't there, but uh, yeah, not exactly. He actually isn't a, you know, the quite the gadfly that we thought we would. No, we got a lavish praise on the squad morning, noon and night. So the media is not going to pay attention to Charlie Crist. Anyway, Jim, have a good weekend. We're supposed to get snow. So, you know, this entire region is going to be uh, in complete chaos by Monday, but we'll still talk. See you then. The upside, Greg, is no school cancellation. Uh, you wait. You just, you wait. They'll find a way. Jim, see you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also find us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend. And please join us again Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.